Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to episode six of Say Why to Drugs with me, Dr. Susie Gage, a researcher at the University of Bristol. In these podcasts, I'm chatting to rapper and podcaster Scroobius Pip, and each episode we discuss a different recreational drug. This episode, we're focusing on psychedelics. These are a group of drugs which alter perception while a person's intoxicated on them. Some of these substances occur naturally, such as psilocybin in magic mushrooms or mescaline in the peyote cactus. Some have been synthesised, such as LSD, lysergic acid dithylamide, whose psychedelic effect was first seen by Albert Hoffman in 1943 when he accidentally got some on his fingers. Later on in the podcast, Pip and I talk about this, and I couldn't remember the date that this happened, but it was 1943, so I've added it here. So anyway, without further ado, here is episode six of Say Why to Drugs, which is about psychedelics. Great. So in this episode, I thought that we would talk about psychedelics. Yes. And that's the drug that I've, uh, again, like we've, we've touched upon in the past, and we should clarify that now, as this is kind of the second half of ones that yeah. we're recording. The only reason I'm here is I've done drugs in the past. I don't do any now, so I've not got any bias in that way. Um, similar with the... Um, stop and search podcast on the network that's about the legalization of drugs i'm very much supportive of that but i've got no personal interest in it so it's that kind of i'm happy to be unbiased and talk of my experiences and again be educated by your information (laughs) excellent yeah so this is an episode where i've had a bit of discussion with friends and people on the internet about whether i should do one episode for psychedelics or kind of split them up but at the moment i've put them all together yeah but maybe in future episodes we could focus on specific psychedelics as a sort of individual thing rather than the category as a whole because it is a weird one that that crosses over in that it's got natural and and pharmaceutical i guess or synthetic sorry yeah i don't know the term (laughs) it's it's got natural and, and synthetic legs of it so you will have people who take mushrooms or you have people who take acid and all sorts of different things in between yeah so i think in particular i've sort of focused on yeah lsd acid magic Mm -hmm. mushrooms where the active ingredient is psilocybin mescaline and dmt so the active ingredient being ayahuasca yeah because ayahuasca it's it's one we touched upon on one of the previous episodes and i couldn't remember the name of it Uh, remember when i was saying that people go off to peru for a spiritual thing it was ayahuasca and i listened back to that episode and i was shouting at myself it's ayahuasca you idiot but yes 
Yes, that's fascinating. Well, so would you like to tell me what you think the appeal of, of psychedelics is? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, when I started, um, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, of all the drugs I've done, my favourite have been hallucinogenics. Um, and for me, it was... It's a really interesting one because as a as as a youngster, when you start off, it's because of the the culture around it. Um, reading um, a Timothy Leary and and listening to the Doors and things like this. Yeah. But the first few times I did it, the focus was on, and this is completely wrong, freaking out my mates and all of us going, "Oh, look how how messed up we are." And the more I did it, the more it became, as we referenced in the previous ones, um, kind of a spiritual type thing. In a way, I'm not a spiritual person, but mm. in that kind of right, let's see what parts of my brain I can activate and experience and see how that changes me as a person, essentially, like long-term and things I realise or or open up to. So, yeah. yeah. I think what you're saying is really interesting here because it seems quite different to all of the other substances that we've talked about so far in that they tend to be more of a kind of social thing, perhaps not tobacco, but certainly alcohol, certainly things like MDMA. They're They're a night-out drug. Yeah, whereas psychedelics seem to be a much more kind of personal experience kind of a drug. Yeah, I totally agree. I got, and again, I only did them for a certain amount of time, but I got a lot more out of them personally. And again, this podcast isn't pro or anti, but I got more out of them when I realised exactly that, Mm. that it's not about seeing which of my mates that we can freak out the most or anything else. When I started to go, right, let's just enjoy the experience for what you can, can see. Because again, it's the things I'd read at the time, again, looking at Timothy O'Leary and people like that, um, the things I'd read at the time were about the fact that it changes the way you're, I don't know, you take in, in reality. And again, the whole theory there was yeah. what, was what's to say which reality is any more or less real. And yeah, it was an interesting one. Yeah, when we, we get onto the myths, uh, one thing that someone told me is that um, DMT isn't actually a drug and what it is is a portal. Right. So uh, <laughs> brilliant. that might be a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast to sort of get into. But it's, um, It is a fascinating one, as said, with the myths and, and, and beliefs and ideas because for me it was there was a lot of that and I never had a, a bad trip as such. I've got close friends who did mm-hmm. and it really had a negative effect on them yeah. a, a long term. So again can't stress enough that this isn't pro or anti it's, mm. it's coming from a lot of ex- different experiences and and research but i had read that a bad trip is your subconscious panicking and trying to claw back to reality now the stuff i'd read about the drug i truly believe the theory that there's there's nothing to say that what you see on a hallucinogenic is any more or less real than what you see when you're not it's just tweaking the way you're eyes interpret light coming into your brain and so on and so forth so I believe the reason I didn't have a bad trip was because I was truly comfortable with that so I didn't have that panic and clawing back yeah and I think this is something quite crucial in terms of the effects if we move on to talking about the effects that it's really quite unpredictable yeah hugely and it's hugely influenced by what is called set and setting and so set is sort of what you as a person are bringing to the experience sort of your mood or your history or all sorts of things about sort of you and then setting is where you take it as well so it's the kind of drug that you might be tempted to like for the first time take at a festival or something like that because people say oh it's amazing to walk through the trees or whatever yeah but taking it in an incredibly crowded place where you've got very little control over sort of what externally is going to happen to you it's a really, really bad idea, yeah. if you're, certainly if you're not used to it, because you just the lack of control can be a terrifying thing when everything's not looking or 
doing what you expect Completely. it to do. And, and it, it's also an unpredictable one on, on the latency. Possibly one of the last times I took LSD, I took it with friends on a hilltop and we were all like, this is going to be fun. And we all took our half a tab or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. We sat there for a while and we all went our separate ways. Now, on my walk to my then girlfriend's house, it kicked in and I had a lovely time. It was quiet street, so it wasn't intimidating. I took a long walk home. So the setting had changed, but I was having a good time. I then got to my girlfriend's house and just went to bed and I had a horrible time Mm because I was suddenly in the darkness with someone who wasn't on anything and was just like, just go to sleep. So I'm panicking. So in that one experience, I had those slight change of settings that you wouldn't predict that the outside one would be or would be a better one than the inside in a safe place, but it's such an unpredictable Absolutely, yeah. experience. Yeah, and because we're sort of talking about a few different substances here, they have different times to take effect. Yeah. So um, something like mushroom intoxication, if you drink it as a tea or mm-hmm. chew it, then it can take sort of, it can last up to five hours. Yeah. If you're given an intravenous psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in mushrooms, that sort of intoxication experience will only last around half an hour, probably. Right. Um, and then LSD trips can last for sort of seven to eight hours. So they can yeah. be really, really long lasting things. And I think this can be part of the problem as well is like the longer the trip lasts, the more chance there is that something bad will happen just because you're tripping for a longer time yeah yeah which is why people sometimes think that lsd you're more prone to bad trips and it's probably because the experience just lasts longer so there's more time in which you can have a bad trip if Uh, that makes sense the longer time you're on something that by its very nature is very unpredictable yeah the more chance that something and again it's 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 similar it's why in many ways i don't do any drugs now is i feel the few times i did hallucinogenics it went well as we're saying there, the more times I roll that dice, yeah. the more chance it's going to not go well at all. So for me personally, it was kind of, I'm going to cash my chips in now. From what I know, it can last or can feel like it lasts for even longer than your, your yeah. seven, eight well, hours. I, I, yeah, I think this brings us on to what the intoxication effect of psychedelics actually is, yeah. which we sort of haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, sure. Um, although it's probably quite apparent. So it's sort of perceptual alterations i suppose and also things like distortions of time and space as well Mm -hmm. so rooms that you're in can look completely different to how they looked sort of before you take something or you'll feel like you're running really fast or whatever but you're actually moving very slowly um there's a a story in, in david nutt's book um of drugs without the hot air where he's talking about some teenagers that were driving and got pulled over and they were on LSD driving on LSD is a terrible terrible idea yeah. by the way but um they they got pulled over because they were going at two miles an hour but they didn't realize because yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah it's yeah I mean you might think that's safer than driving on alcohol but it's still a pretty terrible idea yeah ever... I mean again it's the weird one that there is a lot of drugs that people seem to think are okay to drive on which yeah. again has always blown my mind because everyone seems to know that alcohol, because it's illegal to drive them. There was tons of mates of mine growing up who would never drink and drive, but would happily drive on pills or on on cannabis or anything else. It's like, right, well, they're they're still changing your... Yeah, certainly, well, cannabis massively slows your reaction times and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's the sort of intoxication effects referred to as a trip, Mm -hmm. and um, sometimes it can be really enjoyable, and 
it sort of mimics the kind of hallucinations that might be associated with things like schizophrenia or psychosis Mm -hmm. but for the most part doesn't bring along the sort of distress caused by them because you know it's going to happen because you've taken it yeah if you are spiked with psychedelics that can be extremely extremely traumatic because it's very much a substance that you need to be aware of what's going to happen otherwise it will be terrifying you will think that you're going mad probably completely i can't even imagine how horrendous yeah, that would be. And again, spiking is something that's always stunned me that anyone sees that as a funny yeah, it's, or it's enjoyable thing. But yeah, completely. The fact is, you can still panic and have a rough time when you know this is about to happen yeah. and you're choosing yeah. to do this. So yeah, if that just started happening outside of your own choice or awareness that it was going to happen, then yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. horrendous. And it's slightly different from things like the sort of hallucinations you get with with schizophrenia as well, because psychedelics, for the most part, are sort of visual hallucinations, whereas with schizophrenia, it's much more common to have audio hallucinations, like hearing voices and that kind of thing. So although there are similarities, it's not sort of a model of uh, sort of, yeah, Yeah, that's interesting, because again, I'd say everything I can think of when looking back at using hallucinogenics it's exactly that it's all very visual it's 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 colors changing mm. or or textures or anything else changing visually a wall can seem completely different the wall we're in now with all the soundproofing on would blow my mind <laughs> if, if we were wondering but things like that beard it never occurred to me that i'd never really had even if you see some kind of creature or person or whatever else that wouldn't normally have been there it never occurred to me i'd never really had any audio interaction with mm we have anything in that experience so that's yeah yeah um and then depending on the substance that you're taking if it's something that's sort of plant-based or that kind of thing you can quite often quite quickly after you take it so with something like mushrooms you might have stomach pains feel a bit nauseous potentially even sort of diarrhea yeah but that's from the sort of poisonous mushroom aspect of what you're taking rather than the psychedelic the psilocybin by itself doesn't give those symptoms it's from the organic material that you're sort of consuming alongside it yeah you're taking poison you're choosing to ingest poison for the the positive effects but there's going to be the negative (laughs) there's going to be some negative ones in there as well yeah Yeah. okay and if we think now about sort of slightly longer term results from taking psychedelics some people report improvements in psychological well-being Mm -hmm. and this is something that there was a loads of experiments done on lsd in the sort of in the 60s they weren't necessarily brilliant research but they sort of set the scene for kind of ideas that are being used again today yeah so although some people report improvements in psychological well-being conversely in other people you might have sort of psychologically agitative kind of effects so painful emotional material sort of coming to the surface during a trip and that that's what i was saying about set and setting so if the set completely there's sort of the risk that these kind of things are there and and a change in your mental state might bring them to the surface then then that could be pretty problematic for some people it's a weird one on how you gauge Mm long-term effects because things like ayahuasca people don't generally say oh i'm going to do that every weekend you do it once or maybe twice it was originally used as kind of a coming of age thing so at a certain age in 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 your development you you you, you'll take this to kind of open your mind to certain things and for me the long-term effects i do feel of the drugs i've done hallucinogenics or hallucinogens have changed me them or have had the most long-term effect but not in a i still feel it in my blood type way more in a at the time i experienced certain 
enlightenment sounds so hippie and ridiculous, <laughs> but I was into all my sixties and seventies stuff at the time. But certain realizations and, and enlightenments that have affected how I am as a person and how I am as a human and how I interact and things like that. So, of all the drugs, it's a hard one to to nail down because the long term effects of alcohol are very much a calculable physical yeah. and mental thing. Whereas the long term effects of hallucinogens, it's like well. It's, it's, it's so vague because it's such a yeah. psychological drug in itself. Mm-hmm. It's really... So one of the weird um, things about psychedelics compared to almost all other recreational drugs is that it's not addictive. Right. So, in fact, it's sort of almost anti-addictive in that if you take some immediately after you've just taken some, mm-hmm. you, you will have absolutely no effect because the kind of straight after you've had a trip, your tolerance is extremely high, so you just wouldn't be able to to get right. another effect. So there's no drive when you take it to immediately take more. You That's don't really get well, certainly no sort of physical or psychological yeah. kind of addiction qualities. There are yeah. people who do it very frequently, but to say that they're sort of addicted is a bit harder to say than for other drugs where there's a sort of mechanism by which this addiction Yeah, I mean we've touched happen. on previous ones and, and said that we might have to do a whole episode on addiction yeah. at some point is the fact is all we can talk here really is of the 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 physical addiction again anyone can have a personality trait that can make them addicted to certain things but as you said if we have lsd that there's no medical addiction that that can be recorded it certainly or, doesn't or seem that way such. yeah and there's also no evidence of any long-term physical effects mm-hmm. from taking lsd which again is unlike most of these other substances that we've talked about, yeah. which can sort of have effects. If they raise your heart rate, for example, they can have long-term effects on your heart. If you metabolise them in your liver, they can have long-term effects on the liver, yeah. that kind of thing. There doesn't seem to be anything like this for for psychedelics. But there are some risks. I mean, obviously there are there are risks when you're intoxicated that you're not aware of the circumstances around you and you're potentially more likely to sort of walk into roads or be unaware of your I think you can fly and all things like that. It's, it's kind of the fear things put about at the time when mm. I was growing up was all, oh, you'll think you can fly and you'll, you'll jump off a building or things like that. And as much as they're exaggerations, they're also they're, they're viable. It's, it's one of those rare ones where a lot of the, of the over-the-top anti-propaganda with most drugs, that comes into our myth section mm-hmm. and you can yeah. cut that down. A thing like that... It's it, it's not going to happen a lot, but it's it's viable. It's mm-hmm. it, it's a viable argument that you could feel some kind of yeah. Well, I think I mean, there's no sort of documentation. In fact, I have got this down as a myth. LSD right, will make a, you think you can fly off, jump off a building, and then in brackets I've written not necessarily entirely a myth. Yeah, so yeah, it's exactly yeah, what you yeah, just said. It's really. a fascinating one there. Yeah, that there are cases of people sort of falling off cliffs and things that where potentially they might have been intoxicated but that could equally be from just being unaware of your surroundings rather than yeah. thinking i can fly and yeah. jumping it's just sort of wandering aimlessly into a dangerous situation because you're sort of not as aware of, of what's going on around the, you. the experience i had was i found um and again i've been trying to th- think about these in advance of this so i can kind of be more succinct and articulate with it but the experience i had with hallucinogens a lot of the time was most of the action was going on in my peripheral 
as soon as I'd focus on it, a lot of the time it wouldn't be there. And that speaks a lot to what you were saying there is you could easily not notice where you're going because yeah. you're so, so aware of stuff around you that you're not actually things. focused on the, the path in front of you as such, like quite literally the path in front of yeah. you in this, <laughs> in this instance. And there are risks to certain people. Again, this comes down to the sort of set idea yeah. that if you are an anxious person, for example, then losing control in the way that you do on psychedelics, sort of giving up your mind for a bit to these experiences that you can't control can Mm -hmm. be incredibly traumatising and difficult. And really that probably means that these people will just never want to try it. It's not the kind of drug that would interest them because that kind of experience just isn't desirable for for people who have those kind of traits. again, as with all of these, there's always peer pressure or other things that could put someone who... Who, who wouldn't naturally go towards this in that situation. And, yeah, chances are it's, it's not going to go well. Yeah. And there are cases where using psychedelics can seem to trigger mental health problems through sort of unsupervised use of them. Mm-hmm. And, again, these are probably in people who already have a higher susceptibility or risk for these kind of um, mental health problems. Potentially they're already slightly have them underlying and this kind of just brings it to the surface and triggers it and it's not very common but it's still a risk and it's something to bear in mind certainly if if you have a family history of of psychiatric problems and that kind of thing then it may well not be not be the drug of choice for you yeah 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 but then other people and this is sort of goes back to what you've been saying that it's a quite a common reported that it can lead to sort of long-term or potentially permanent personality change like an increased feeling of openness to others and to sort of the world more generally yeah it's, it's a weird one because before taking it, I'd kind of, you'd read that this is the one drug that can can mess you up forever. Mm-hmm. It can it can break your mind forever. And Just it's that weird thing. It's like, can, yeah. yeah, and it's like, well, it can change your mind forever. But as we said, in not such a tangible way as you first yeah. interpret that when you're hearing it. When you read that, you presume it means it's going to do something that turns off a switch or turns on a switch mm-hmm. and makes you permanently on edge or off kilter but yeah yeah and i think it could trigger something severe that could be a problem for a very long time but that's extremely extremely rare yeah and it's important to sort of get that kind of quantitative message across that like there are risks but in terms of comparison to risks from other substances there's probably this is a pretty low risk substance if you're in a safe environment and that's that's really key and that's that's the key in all these things and, and, and partly the point of these podcasts is informing people of the risks and then allowing them to make an adult choice and, and decision. And I was, I was thinking about this after the uh, t- tobacco one because that one blew me away a lot because mm. it was the one that we seemed... It was weird that tobacco and alcohol seemed to be the ones that had the most we clear really down damage. On, yeah. <laughs> but seemed to have the most negative mm. effects. But it's that thing of... You can't just ban these things in such a manner because equally, probably the most damaging thing to mankind on the whole is probably something like sugar, actually physical effects and things like Mm. that. Yet you've got to educate people on it and then give them that choice. And that's, yeah, as you said, educating that there are risks, but this happens to be one that maybe has a is in the lower end of the risk, but it's still, Mm -hmm. you know, a a valid and, and, and legitimate risk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting you mentioned sugar there because a few people have messaged me asking for an episode on sugar, so potentially... It'd be an interesting yeah. one, yeah, yeah. Right, so should we move on to myths? Yes. Myths about psychedelics. Well, just before we get there, I mean, I don't know if, if you even know this, but uh, do you know kind of the history? Because a lot of the uh, synthetic drugs tend to, as we found out with MDMA and things like that, were used 
early on for counselling and are now coming mm. around again to possibly being used yeah. in that situation. Do you know what the kind of the, the starting point was for, for, for hallucinogenics? Because, again, I've heard in relation to being developed as a drug to help schizophrenia, which makes sense now you've said that it's a similar Yeah, a similar I think area. In, in terms of schizophrenia, when it was first discovered, it was more thought, oh, this could be a model for schizophrenia right. that then we could use to work out treatment. So give, yeah. give LSD to healthy individuals to sort of induce kind of yeah. transient schizophrenia, if you like, sure. and then work out how to treat. But then, um, yeah, yeah, go on. So LSD was, um, I'm not sure exactly when it was developed, actually, but the way that it was this guy called Albert Hoffman, I think it was in the 60s, but it might have been a bit earlier than that. But he sort of realised what it was when he got some on his, on his fingers and had a very unusual um, right. experience. And then the next day tried again, but took a proper amount well a very 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 small amount but deliberately took an amount and yeah and yeah it was um so had the first sort of trip yeah. and he um then mentioned it to a lot of colleagues in psychiatry yeah. and a lot of them also then tried it and then they started doing um experiments with it in in psychiatric hospitals yeah. and then timothy leary who was also at university took it further and wanted to do a lot of research and originally his, he was very supported and got lots of funding to do it yeah. but then his his experiments were going way beyond sort of what he had ethical approval or yeah. or i don't know if they had ethics councils and unis in the 60s but certainly what the university thought that he was doing and then he got he got sacked yeah. but he carried it on in his in his house yeah. um carried on doing the experiments that he was doing but he sort of brought it so much to the public domain that lots of people started using it recreationally and that's when it sort of came apparent to lawmakers yeah. and they decided that no this should be a class a well i think it was, yeah. this was in the state so I don't, they don't quite have the same class systems but the equivalent of a class a yeah. drug with no medical benefits which meant all of the research that had previously been going on although timothy leary was really keen on this research and was like was taking part in it in a way him bringing it to the public attention sort of made that all slightly more difficult because it also brought it to the attention of of sort of lawmakers yeah. Yeah, I, I remember reading a quote from him in his later in his life saying his biggest regret was bringing the drug to the public eye, but not the culture of it or the mm. or the 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 that's a, a synthetic um, types, but the yeah. the more natural types it is. It's a traditional thing of a, a shamanic ex experience of it being a coming of age thing of yeah. it being so. He 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 said later on in his life that said he regretted hugely, kind of saying. Look, here's this drug, and people went. Let's take lo yeah. loads of this and do it all the time. It's like that's not the culture of it that that he then learnt that it should have had. Well, yeah. So the history of the sort of more the naturally occurring plant-based psychedelics is probably the most sort of far back in human history. These drugs were being used. They've yeah. probably been used for millennia. Like yeah. that's not even it's an crazy. exaggeration. Yeah. In in those kind of yeah coming of age ritualistic shamanic yeah. settings. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, let's go on to the myths. So yes, I, I yes. took us off track briefly. No, no, it's, it's good. Um, so, yeah, we've sort of talked a bit about the idea of making you think you can fly and jump off a building. It's potentially an aspect of the trip, but could also just be you're much more likely to be injure yourself if you're unaware of your surroundings and you're wandering about. So, again, setting is important. And similar to, to, to pretty much every drug yeah. that we could talk about, really, in in it, in that instance, I'd I'd say you could probably just as easily jump off a building drunk. Well, yeah, absolutely. as you possibly could on on. And I wonder if it's because people enjoy 
tripping outside in nature, surrounded by nature, sure. that maybe they're more likely to be at risk of wandering off a cliff or, yeah, yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Or they're up on the roof because they want to look at the sky. So yeah. perhaps it's the nature of the of psychedelia that means it's more sort of appealing to be yeah. in dangerous situations when you take it. But bad idea. Um, okay, the next one I've got written down is psychedelics cause schizophrenia or mental health problems. And we've sort of touched on this already, that there yeah. are there are anecdotal reports of this, but it's one of those things, again, where it's really, really hard to rigorously research this because when you get someone turning up at, at a hospital who's quite clearly unwell with a, with a psychotic disorder, working out why it happened is slightly less important than helping that person in, the, course, in the moment yeah. right now. And so... You can't really, to look at it in a big population studies as well, because psychotic disorder is quite rare. It's the same with, with cannabis, that actually working yeah. out whether these things are really causal and if so, who in particular is vulnerable is yeah. really difficult. But again, it's the sort of common sense almost that if you have a load of other risk factors for psychotic disorder, like a family history or like yeah. sort of um, traumatic childhood and early life adversity and that kind of thing, then all of these things just increase your risk incrementally of a psychotic disorder so psychedelic substances that cause mind-altering effects are going to be another risk factor to yeah. that but yeah. they're definitely not necessary or sufficient again yeah. it's not the case that if you take it you will definitely get a psychotic disorder absolutely yeah. not it, it's one of them where as we've touched upon before you can as, as i mean exactly as you said causation versus correlation mm -hmm. of that is 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 it simply that someone in these situations is more likely to be taking this drug or doing this and therefore it looks linked or it looks like yeah it's an yeah. impossible one to gauge in that manner and again like with all of these it's not to keep going on about a, a, a legality because that's obviously the, the the focus of the stop and search mm -hmm. podcast also on the stretch pieces network i got a, a, quick, <laughs> nice a quick plug in there plug. um but it's with all of these drugs being illegal it's so much harder to have any real valid research and, and prolonged research because of, of the restrictions upon it all, right? Or or at least the perception of it all. Yeah, it's yeah, it's certainly more difficult to recruit participants. Yeah. It's more difficult to well, I mean I've not tried, but certainly people like David Nutt who do this kind of research say it's it's more difficult yeah. to get the funding to actually do it and yeah. be able to run these studies. Yeah. But I've, I, that's coming on to that after the myths. Sure. There is some research going on Excellent. at the moment that's very interesting. Great. But the, so the next myth I have is uh, that drinking juice in particular orange juice will reduce a bad trip but right, some people yeah, also say that before. it will like augment the trip and make it last longer or shorter so. yeah i've heard, heard loads of different things i've heard them recently actually where in, in america um edibles have become more popular so edible cannabis and stuff mm -hmm. but they apparently a lot of them have some kind of hallucinogenic or psychedelic of of effects and again hearing that if you eat these ones and drink this particular brand of watermelon juice or, yeah. or, or something like that and it's like it's crazy that it's like this feels like just really good marketing to try and to yeah. try and sell this with that but i remember hearing in my youth sunny delight was pushed hugely <laughs> as get some of that in while you you've got your your hallucinogens yeah. as a as a company so there's no there's no evidence that orange juice makes any difference to mm. your trip but I was just wondering whether it might come from the 
So grapefruit juice can interact with a lot of medication, so things like immunosuppressant medication and that right. kind of thing. And lots of people who are on certain medications are told to avoid grapefruit juice. Right. So That's I wonder whether it's just sort of a misunderstanding of what of what of yeah. why that is and yeah. getting the wrong citrus fruit or yeah. or something like that. But yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Okay, the next one I have. DMT is produced by the brain at birth and at death. Right. So there's no there's no evidence that this is the case, but again, this is something that's pretty pretty hard to, to research. Yeah. But I think with round psychedelics, there's so much sort of mythologizing it's, around the substances so because of the well. way because of the effect that they have. Yeah, it's so classic as well because again, I always remember hearing like, "This is how our brains are used to work when we were cavemen mm-hmm. and stuff like yeah. that," and all these different things of it's just to just to make out that it's a completely natural thing when. It's not. It's altering. You're you're taking something to alter your. Yeah, I wonder if Gaspar Noe is slightly responsible for this as well. The film Enter the Void yeah, is sort of yeah. around that kind of topic. Completely. Yeah. Completely. It's pretty um, extreme film. It's one of my favourite f- films. I love Gaspar Noe. I think Irreversible and Enter the Void are both just Enter the Void. Weirdly, is actually a great example here because the way he sh- shot it, a lot mm. of the visuals, it is a reminiscent of being on hallucinogens and particularly I remember I saw both Irreversible and um, End of the Void in small cinemas yes. so because there will be certain but like it's the closest I've come to, to, to thinking I was going to have a panic attack because or vomit I felt yeah, like the, I was like the, be sick the flashing of lights and when you're in a small room and mm. it takes over the whole room it's genuinely purely the visuals I've not even taken anything but, yeah. but, but purely the visuals are having that f- physical effect on your body well, that, I think that's what he sort of goes for is yeah. to try and sort of elicit that kind of feeling yeah. to people who've not taken anything like just if you would go it probably YouTube isn't going to work if you're watching it on your phone <laughs> yeah. and, and find the, else, op- yeah. the opening credits are just of, yeah. of Enter the Void are incredible yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah definitely anyway that was a big detour sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so flashbacks yes now lots of people this this was a big a big sort of warning that loads of people have said to me is like I've never tried psychedelics because I've been told that Flash just any time yeah. when I'm just driving driving my children to school or walking down the street I can have a flashback that'll be just as vivid as the original trip and there's nothing I can do about it and mm. that's terrifying so but people have been trying to sort of look at this and via sort of questionnaire studies and that kind of thing there's there's very little evidence for flashbacks there is more evidence of sort of slight perceptual abnormalities that happen for maybe a few weeks or so after mm-hmm. a trip um and typically subside quite quite soon after that yeah and the people who've reported these in these kind of questionnaires generally say that they like them yeah that, that it's not unpleasant but i think that is something that can put people off doing psychedelics is the idea that at any time you might get these flashbacks it's 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 definitely a fascinating one and it's, it's just reminded me now as we're doing this one that the most tweets i've had is about how much of what of what you tell me i say is fascinating yeah. but it is it's fascinating but it's it's a fascinating one because again it's a cause it's it's finding a causation thing because i've had moments where i've looked at something and it's gone a bit weird and i've wondered is that because of doing lsd in the mm-hmm. past but, but but equally, you'll get them things on on Facebook now or in in newspapers that say, "Stare at this for for thirty seconds, and then look over there, and the wall kind of looks like it's melting." Yeah. And it's these things where your mind, certain things, will make your mind and eyes do weird stuff. Yeah. Now it's easy to have one of them happen naturally. Again, 
uh, we're in a room that's got a lot of uh, vertical and horizontal lines, a lot of pattern, yeah. which if we stared at that for long enough and then look somewhere else, it'd We'd, probably look yeah, weird. Get after it'd, it'd, it'd freak yeah. your eyes out and get after images. Now, it's easy if you've done hallucinogens in the past to then say, oh, that's because of my... That's because of my history of yeah, drugs. Exactly. But it's like, well, no, that probably would have happened bias, anyway. Basically, yeah. yeah. Completely. If you've again, done it, you're more likely to attribute it to, to that. Exactly that. I've, I've had points in the months or whatever after I'd done um, acid or, or whatever else where I felt I'd had, had flashbacks. Mm-hmm. But now I can say, well, again, I can remember one clearly. I was looking at one of them um, a metal grids that have kind of got a grip diamond pattern on. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I was at work and I'd been looking at that for a bit and then I looked around and it all kind of spun me out the fact is i'm staring at a pattern there's bright a light hitting onto it yeah it's probably nothing to do with the drugs i've done at some point in my life yeah and now again this is one of those cases where lack of evidence isn't evidence of the things not existing so sure it is possible that some people could get flashbacks and there is a disorder that is very rare but does happen where you do get persistent perceptual abnormalities after taking psychedelics but again this is this is an extremely rare disorder it's rarer than schizophrenia and that sort of thing right so these these kind of things are small risks but potentially again and just because we haven't found evidence of them doesn't mean that they aren't there and some people do report like well things like what you're saying as well but that's not the case of suddenly feeling like you're absolutely back in the the vividness of the of the original experience it's like a sort of after aftershock or after image i guess completely and again all you can give there is is the loose research and and facts that's been found it's impossible and i can speak from my experience but my experience will be completely different Mm, to someone else's experience so yeah yeah exactly and that's why this, this is quite a hard one to talk about the scientific evidence for, because although yeah. there's there's lots of it, it is it is such a sort of personal yeah. experience that it's it's much harder to sort of definitively say, well, this is these are the risks and these yeah. aren't, because I think yeah, it's it's so I hope this doesn't feel like a cop out, sorry no, guys, but again, it's I mean, one of you those nailed it at the, at the start, and the thing that I think everything we've talked about all comes back to set and setting mm. is the fact that those two things can can completely vary the myths yeah. the actual experience at the time the physical effects all of that that all all seems to come mm-hmm. back to that all right next myth lsd or psychedelics can open up parts of the brain that aren't usually used yeah so i just rolled my eyes because this is my <laughs> this is my sort of least favorite kind of bugbear about the brain that yeah. like, we only use 10% of our brains yeah. and the rest of it can be unlocked via brain training or yeah. psychedelics or whatever it's just i think i think this myth might come about because the brain is made up of neurons right which are sort of um, long thin cells that send electrical impulses to other neurons in the brain and that's how messages are kind of delivered between the neurons there are these gaps called synapses and the neurotransmitters which are generally the things that are altered by recreational drugs like the levels of them or how much they're picked up they transfer the impulse across the gaps between neurons and that's how the brain passes messages around it right in a nutshell, that was a very, yeah, very good. I liked <laughs> quick it. summary of how the brain works. It's cut off quite a few corners, but you've got the gist. <laughs> yeah. But these neurons are really, really long, right? And if you know much about sort of if electricians who are listening or people who know much about electrical conductivity will know that to transfer an electrical impulse down a long, thin cable, you get a lot of sort of resistance and leakage. So there around the neurons, there are sort of lumps of fat, basically, mm-hmm. these things... Um, Oh, what are they called myelin sheaths and um there's if you covered the whole thing in like insulation it would still take a long time but what they do is 
what they do, what the brain, how the brain's <laughs> developed is that you get sort of bits of myelin and then gaps. And that, so that means that the electrical impulse sort of leaps down from gap to gap. Right. And so it, the brain can, this is again really, really simplistic. So there's neuroscientists listening to this with their heads in their hands. I'm really sorry, but it's sort of trying to get the idea across. But anyway, the point is the brain is full of all this kind of fatty lumps, basically, yeah. that aren't neurons or aren't synapses or neurotransmitters and they're just there to help the brain fire more quickly but we don't use them for thinking so i wonder if that's where this myth that we'd only use 10 percent of our brain comes from right right yeah so it's the bits that are yeah yeah that is jumping across essentially yeah but like but again taking psychedelics isn't going to help because those bits of the brain they serve a purpose just because they're not there for thinking doesn't mean they're not useful again it's it's a myth that i'd completely heard as i touched upon Mm -hmm. that in we hope it uses parts of your brain that we used to use when we were cavemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's why we saw dinosaurs and stuff. <laughs> and just, just just, genuinely I've had them conversations as a teen going, mate, you know, you say how crazy things were, all these cave drawings. Mm-hmm. It's because we were using different yeah. parts of our brain. Or the and lizard brain. All this, it's like, yeah. no, nah, <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> But I then, totally believed it though. I well, was totally on board. I was like, "Yeah, man." We all believe lots of things as a teenager. But <laughs> <laughs> um, having said that, though, it does seem to change the way that neurons talk to each other. So um, there's been some really cool work done um, in Imperial in London where they've put people on LSD in brain scanners yeah. and looked at the connectivity between neurons. And mm-hmm. so the way the brain sort of typically works is you've got these little circuits that talk to each other in the brain Mm -hmm. and it seems like what lsd does from these studies and there weren't on very many people and so they're very much sort of early early days of these kind of studies but it seems to make these individual little networks fire less but then globally the brain seems to be sort of firing or sending out impulses more so less sort of individual level communication more global communication is kind of the right. theory behind yeah, it's it interesting. so perhaps that's sort of sort of not opening up parts of the brain that aren't normally used but opening opening up connections that aren't normally used yeah yeah so oh, maybe there's something in it i apologize for rolling my eyes <laughs> <laughs> um LSD is stored in body fat, so it can be released at any time. And I think this is sort of related to flashbacks. Right. But yeah, there's not really any evidence for this at all. No. Um, and this was another, I think, evolutionary myth as well, that it was really useful because you would have this LSD in your fat stores. So if you were ever in a situation where you were like lost in the jungle with no food or anything, and then the um, the LSD would kick in after you lost a certain amount of weight and it would help yeah. in some way right. not lsd obviously but the yeah. uh, organic yeah. psychedelic yeah hmm. that's a bizarre one yeah yeah and then the last one i've got is one we've sort of already touched on that you're less likely to have a bad trip on mushrooms versus lsd because they're natural right but this is not at all because they're natural but it's because of what I said earlier, that you just have a slightly shorter trip on mushrooms than LSD, yeah. so there's just less time to have a bad trip. But then but, equally, you're more more likely to feel ill physical effects, yeah. as you said, because of the poison or whatever else is yeah. potentially in these these mushrooms. Mm. But, but yeah, that's an interesting one. It's Again, I had always had it seen as mushrooms are the a softer, smoother trip and LSD or microdots or whatever else are, are then r- ramping it up. But, yeah, I guess it's just it's it's, it's longevity. It's, mm. it's, it's the length of time you're on it, yeah. so that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Also, this whole the natural versus synthetic thing mm. is another one of my little 
bugbears, so I'm rolling my eyes again. Yeah. The yeah. idea that something is natural, so therefore it's better. But we've, yeah. we've touched on that on yeah. lots of the other episodes, yeah. so there's no, no need to, no, to go yeah, through that again. Yeah. Okay, so are there any benefits of psychedelics? Mm-hmm. There is a lot of work going on at the moment looking at psychedelics. So I should say that um, when I was doing the notes for this, I sent them to Robin Carhart-Harris, who works at Imperial and who was involved, or I think was the lead author in the paper that I just mentioned about the brain scanning paper. And um, he's also doing work looking at um, using psilocybin uh, for treatment-resistant depression. Right. And this is a... A similar kind of way to the way we were talking about the use of MDMA and the use of ketamine, that you would have Mm -hmm. a small dose to sort of try and in a therapeutic setting. Yeah. And as a kind of, I don't want to use the word reset, but just a kind of helping someone to get out of the negative sort of thought processes that they're in and and kind of... um, start to see the world in a different way yeah yeah as we've yeah. talked about that's sort of the some the effects that people report when taking psychedelics so but again as similar to in the mdma episode and 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 the ketamine episode it's it, it's it's the suggestion there is using them in isolated instances rather than yeah. it being oh here's your prescription absolutely yeah. of mushrooms yeah. <laughs> you know can they take these once a week it's no it's in this situation again as you said as a reset's a bad word for it but as mm. some kind of right here we're going to try and have that get the the benefit from it in this in this this one situation and then hopefully that will that will just set you on a different yeah. path yeah. yeah but what when um when i uh when i sent my notes to robin and he came back with some great comments he also told me that there are loads there's loads of other research going on as well so people are looking at using it as a treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder um for for death anxiety for people who have a terminal illness and Mm -hmm. sort of helping them to sort of come to terms with that and and, yeah um but also for for loads of addictions as well so it's potentially being used for tobacco addiction and alcohol dependence um and in fact these these well certainly alcohol dependence those kind of studies were initially done in the 60s before um, before that, the kind of research into LSD yeah, stopped. Yeah. Um, and there's also ideas about how it can be used um, to help improve well-being and to reduce psychological distress and, and suicidality. So although at the moment we don't know too much about these kind of positive effects, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of thought within scientific communities and medical communities that it could be really, really helpful for a number of different sort of psychological problems. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's great and it's fascinating that we're at that time with things that that the openness is there because a, a, a while back it would seem ridiculous that you'd be even putting forth the suggestion that you'd use one of the scary illegal drugs to help with addiction to one of... The nice, friendly legal drugs, yeah. t- tobacco or alcohol. Again, the the fear is that the 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 more common drugs are a gateway to the heavier drugs, and this is kind of going. Well, no, this can be used to help Actually, you get off them ones stop, that are doing yeah. maybe more physical damage mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. It's, it's great. And there we are. Once again, thank you for listening. Um, now. 
I'm actually going to ask a bit of a favour now. I'd love it if people listening could all do me a favour. So the good people at Acast who host this podcast are conducting a survey of their listeners and it would be great if you could fill it out so they and so that I can find out a little bit more about the people who listen to this podcast. So if you just go to survey.acast.com and it'll take less than five minutes. Thanks again for listening and I hope you'll join us for the next episode in two weeks' time where Pip and I will be saying why to cocaine. You've been listening to Say Why to Drugs with me, Dr Susie Gage. The music and editing were by Jim Murray. The artwork is by at my name is Ad. Say Why to Drugs would not have been possible without the generous support of I'm a Scientist Get Me Out of Here, the Medical Research Council and Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.